Well, I want to ask the question today, how do we make decisions in life? And I think sometimes we make easy decisions, right? I, we woke up this morning and said, what are we going to have for breakfast? You would sit there and you would think, donuts, right? Because you know donuts are going to be here. Or bananas, okay? We got bananas now. I, it was an easy decision, okay? Maybe, maybe you woke up this morning and you're like, do I need to take a shower? And you thought about what you did yesterday and what's going on today. And, and, and some of these decisions are easy, right? But what about tougher decisions? All right, when we have a difficult decision in front of us, what do we do to find an answer for that? And so I want to kind of ask that question and kind of look at the story that we're going to be looking at today and see if we can't uh, learn from it. Uh, we're in this series that we've called Sun Stand Still. Uh, we're looking at the book of Joshua and how God uh, worked in the lives of the Israelites to bring them into the promised land, doing miraculous things. And we're looking in particular at the aspects of God that we can learn from these stories. All right, so uh, the first week, uh, if you weren't here, uh, we talked about Jericho and, and we talked about God's provision and God's timing during that time. Uh, God uh, had provided for the Israelites throughout the wilderness period by giving them manna. And once they entered into the promised land, uh, the manna stopped. But it wasn't because God stopped caring for them. All right, now they had the promised land, the food from that, that they were going to be able to enjoy. We also uh, uh, talked about God's timing. And a lot of times we want to do things on our own agenda, and we choose not to ask God for His agenda in our lives. All right, but God comes... Uh, to Joshua and says, this is how you're going to take the town of Jericho. You're going to walk around. And it was all based on how God's timing worked in that. Uh, last week, we talked about the city of Ai. Uh, and we saw that the Israelites, as they first went in, they, they lost significantly. They, they, they got routed. All right? and, and they were asking the question, why is this, why is this happening to us? And we saw that uh, in that we saw God's holiness and God's justice. God, being a holy God, cannot stand sin and cannot abide it. And so when there was sin in the lives of the Israelites because of what Achan had done, stealing some of what was meant to be burned, uh, we saw uh, God act upon his holiness and his justice. Well, today we want to look at the next aspect of God. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 9 and 10 today. And so if you have your Bibles, we encourage you to, to open up there. Uh, and we're going to be starting in verses 1 and 2. Uh, and, and before we read that, we want to kind of recap the last chapter that we didn't really read last week, okay? So after the Israelites dealt with sin in their midst, they decided to go back and attack Ai, and they were able to win a great victory. And so that kind of sets up everything that's going to happen in this. All right, verses 1 and 2, we read that when the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country and the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon, uh, and they list the, the names of the different kings, the Hivites, or Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. All right, those are the kings. They came together in verse 2 to wage war against Joshua and Israel. All right, so that's going to kind of set the scene for these next two chapters. Uh, all these kings have looked at everything that has happened, in particular Jericho and Ai. All right, and they see Joshua coming in, and they're kind of concerned. 
All right, now that, they're, now that AI is taking place, they're, they're kind of worried as to what is going on. Now, it doesn't seem like it's a big surprise, as we'll see in a little bit, that they know exactly what's going on. They, they, they know it's not a surprise to them what the plan of the Israelites is. Right? They understand what God's calling for them was. God's calling for them was to come into the promised land and, and to kick everybody else out. Right? So they're, they're going to be aware of that, and we'll see that in a little bit. All right, so these kings, even though they knew this was the plan, it doesn't seem until after AI that they finally get kind of worried about it. All right, Jericho, that's a fluke. The wall is falling down. Who would have thunk, right? But AI, man, once they capture that little city of AI, that's when they start to get a little worried. And so they start to gather together, and they start to decide how they're going to beat Joshua and the Israelites and how they're going to overcome them. Now, not everybody in this region of Canaan is going to join forces. Uh, we read in verses 3 and 6 uh, these about a couple of the people. We read that uh, when the Gibeons heard uh, that Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins and cracked and mended. Uh, they put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes, and all the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. And then they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant land. Make a treaty with us. So there's one king that has decided that if you can't beat them, then you must join them. Hey, you guys heard that too. And they, they had that in their mind. We're not going to be able to beat them. There's no way we're going to conquer them with God on their side. We need to join them. But they are aware of that calling. Right? They know that if they just come up to Joshua and say, make a treaty, that Joshua is not going to do that. God told them to kick us out, to kill us all. And so they decide that the best way to, to get this treaty is to trick them. And so they get some donkeys. They put some provisions together, but not just any provisions. They make it to where it looks like they've traveled a very long journey, and they come to Joshua with worn clothes, and they come to him, and they say, please make a treaty. Now, Joshua, on his behalf, all right, he, he, in the next couple of verses, kind of is hesitant at first. He says, how do I know that you're not from around here? Right, he's asking that question, and, and, and they start into this long, elaborate story, right? They say, well, we've heard everything that you did in Egypt, and we, saw, we heard what you did east of the Jordan River. They don't mention Jericho AI. All right, those are recent events. All right, those aren't things that they would have known from when they started off on their journey. And then they say, when we first started, we had nice clothes. All right, now it's all worn and patched. When we first started off, the bread was fresh. Now it's moldy all right, and stale. When we first started off, the wineskins were new. Now they're patched and, and, and worn out and everything. It's been a long journey. And Joshua and the Israelite leaders, they believe them. In verses 14 and 15, I want us to, to really notice these verses. We're told that the Israelites sampled their provision. Who got the short end of the straw on that one, right? The moldy bread. Mm. All right. They sampled the provision, but they did not inquire the Lord. And Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. 
This aspect of God that I think we need to understand is that our God is a relational God. See, our God, He wants to communicate to us. Our God, He speaks. He has spoken through history. He has made known His ways. And for some reason, the Israelites, even though they are aware of this, they choose not to ask God on what they should do. Our God is a speaking God. I love the way the uh, author of Hebrews puts it in verses in chapter one, verses one and two of Hebrews. He says, "In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son." I mean, the author of Hebrews understood that our God is. Speaking God, He has made known His ways, and He's done it in the past. He does it now through His Son and everything that Jesus did. And we must be aware that our God wants to have a relationship with us. The Israelites of Joshua's day, they would have been aware of God speaking. I mean, they, they were aware of Moses, right? And Moses was this leader that had, was in constant communication with God. He was talking to him. And when they get to Mount Sinai, we have God speaking not just to Moses, but to the Israelites through fire and through, through flame, smoke. And, and we have God speaking. They cry out, God, don't talk to us. Talk to Moses. In the book of Joshua, we've already seen three times where God has spoken. The opening of the book of Joshua, God comes to Joshua and says, Be strong and courageous. You're going to take this land. Then we get to Jericho and God comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, this is how I want you to take it. Last week, as after the battle of Ai had gone very wrong, that Joshua and the leaders are laying before the Ark of the Covenant and they're asking God, God, why has this happened to us? And God comes and he speaks. And he says, it's because of sin. They are aware that God speaks. And yet, they don't ask God what they should do. I wonder why they chose in this instance not to ask God for advice. I mean, this is a pretty big decision. Are we going to live at peace with this people or not? And as a community, it was going to affect them greatly. And so instead of relying on God, they relied on what they heard and what they saw and what they tasted. I wonder how often we are like them. Where rather than asking God for direction in our lives, we instead choose to choose our own path where we choose to go our own way, and rather than praying to God, God, show me where you want to go, we just, we just base our decision on what we know or what we've heard. I wonder how often we're like the Israelites here. Well, the story continues. Uh, surprise, surprise, in verse 16, we're told that three days after they had made this treaty, they were the Gibeonites. They were neighbors. They heard the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near, so the Israelites set out. On the third day, they came to their cities, Gibeon and the four other, three other cities. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. 
And then notice this. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. See, I think that once the Israelites figured out, man, we've just been duped, they start to head out. It's a three-day journey. They get there with the whole army, and the army is wondering, why are we not attacking these guys? And then they find out. That's because they made a treaty. And, and they start to grumble. And a lot of times when we choose not to ask God for direction, we're going to find grumbling happening in our lives. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's people that follow us. We need to ask direction. Now, the Israelites, they had lots of reasons to complain right now. All right? They are acutely aware of what their calling is. They, are, they know that they are supposed to kick everyone out. And they also know that in the past, when the Israelites had failed to follow God's call, that bad things happened to them. All right? They have been aware of the punishments that God had given. And a lot of times it meant that people died. And so when the Israelites come and they realize, man, our leaders have messed up, what is God going to do to us for this? That's when they start to complain. So Joshua goes to the Gibeonites and he asks them, Hey, why did you guys trick us? And the Gibeonites come before Joshua and they say, Joshua, listen, we know that you are powerful. We know that God is on your side. We knew that we weren't going to be able to win. And so, yes, we tricked you because we want to submit to you and we don't want to die. And Joshua respects that, and Joshua says, okay, that's fine. You're going to be our servants. And he makes the Gibeonites servants of all of Israel. It says that they end up being the woodcutters and the water carriers for the tabernacle. And so they, every time they, the tabernacle needed water, there they were. Every time they needed uh, fire, wood for the fire, that's where they were at. And we see even generations later that the Gibeonites are still around. The Israelites never back on their promise. So we see Joshua doing this, and there's this now this treaty, and, and it kind of fits the purpose of what they're doing. You know, they're conquering the land. It just wasn't exactly how God was wanting them to. And it's going to cause some problems, because not everyone is happy with the treaty. All right, chapter 10, uh, we see some people who aren't very happy. Remember those five kings that were gathering together? All right, well, here's where they do. Uh, when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king what he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their, their allies, he and his people were very much alarmed at this. Because Gibeon was an important city. It was like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to four other kings, and he said to them, verse 4, Come up and help me attack Gibeon. He said, Because it has made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. In verse 5, the king, five kings of the Amorites uh, joined forces, and they moved up with all their troops and took positions around Gibeon and attacked it. So there's some people that aren't very happy about this treaty, all right? namely the kings that were trying to get Gibeon to help them. All right? they're, they're neighbors, you know, they, they, they've been aware of each other, maybe they had some fightings, maybe they've been allies, and yet here we have Gibeon uh, and, and all these kings looking at this invading force and saying, we need to stop them, and Gibeon goes to their side. I mean, it feels like a traitor, right? 
And so the five kings, they're not very happy about this. They feel betrayed. And so they decide the best thing to do is to attack Gibeon before Israel can help them. And so they gather their forces and they march on Gibeon. Gibeon, on their part in verse 6, we're told that they send word to Joshua and his camp at Gilgal. And he say to them, do not abandon your servant. Come to us quickly. Save us. Help us. You hear the plead, right? Help us. Uh, be on our side. All the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So they fall back on their, their treaty that they've just made. You need to come help us, Joshua. Don't leave us alone. Come to our aid. And so Joshua, in verse 7, marches up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all of his best fighters. And notice this. The Lord says to Joshua, he speaks yet again, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hands. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. We see God speaking yet again. And even though Joshua and the, the leaders did not call on to God when they probably should have, God has not abandoned the Israelites. I can kind of see Joshua's worry, right? Why are the Gibeons, who are good fighters, sending word to Joshua? Well, it's because it's one against five. Right, five armies is a lot to take care of. And so they're sending word to Joshua to come help. And Joshua, I can just imagine, as he's coming in with his armies, worrying about the numbers as well. I mean, he only has one army as well. And so him and Gibeon, that's only two armies against five other armies. What is going to happen? I think the worry is going, and, and he's probably praying to God and asking God for help. And that's when God answers, do not be afraid. I got this. I mean, we see God speak even in this midst of extreme worry in their lives. Our God is a speaking God. Our God intervenes in history. Our God makes known His ways. Our God is a good God. And we see that uh, in this story that the Israelites come. They make this three-day journey into one. In verse 9, we read that all, after the all-night journey from Gilgal, Joshua took the other armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeat them completely at Gibeon. Israel pushed them along the road going to Beth Horan and, and all the way down to Azekah and Makeda. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horan to Azekah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on the road on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the sword of the Israelites. We have this great victory where Israel comes on surprise. It's probably one of those things where the kings were trying to destroy Gibeon before Israel even had a chance. And so they're surprised by what's taken place. They're thrown into confusion. They are routed. And as they're getting away, God starts to throw hailstones to help the Israelites. And notice he does more damage than all the Israelites did by themselves. The Lord was fighting for them. Now, before we move away from this story, I want us to read uh, verses 12 through 15, which I think are very important verses. We read, we read that on that day, the Lord gave the Amorites to them. Joshua said to the Lord, he prays to God, 
in the presence of Israel, he says, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you moon over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nations avenge itself on its enemies. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Verse 14, then, then there has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And we have this other aspect of God. Not only is He a speaking God, not only is He a God that, that makes known His ways, He is also a God that listens and answers prayer. He is a God that wants to have a relationship that goes both ways. Not only does He want to tell us where to go, but He wants us to talk to Him. Prayer is important. Prayer is one of those things as Christians that we need to rely upon. There's an old hymn that says something to this effect. He says, oh, what peace is often forfeit because we don't bring everything to God in prayer. I think it's a great hymn that recognizes this fact that our God, He speaks, and our God, He wants to listen to us, and our God, He answers the prayers of His people. And we see this in the story of Joshua, the battle of Gibeon, as he sits there and says, God, let the sun stand still. And there's a reason why he's asking for that. See, when it gets dark, the armies of the enemies would be able to hide. They don't have flashlights. They don't have spotlights. They can't see in the dark. So he wants the sun to stand still so that they can destroy their enemies. And what we see in this story and the rest of Joshua is that there's no really big battle after this one. This is the last major battle of the conquest. And it's all because they're able to stop the sun. God does it miraculously. And they're able to defeat their enemies severely. Our God, He answers prayer. And there's a lot of times in our lives where we need to go to Him. Where we have struggles and we need to rely on Him for peace. And there's times when we just have a decision to make. And we need to rely on God for an answer to those decisions. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. A lot of times we rely too much on our own knowledge of what is right and wrong, and we forget that God is, knows much more. If the Israelites had simply asked God, God, should we make a treaty with the Gibeonites? God would have told them, hey, they're lying to you. Hey, they're about three days from you. I mean, God knew that. He could have told them what to do in that situation, but because they didn't, they had this big battle. What would have happened had they just asked God? And in our lives, a lot of times we struggle through because we're trying to make decisions based on our own knowledge and based on what we think is right. And I wonder what would happen if we just asked God for direction. How much would our paths be made straight? Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you are a speaking God, that you are 
a listening God, that you answer prayers. Father God, in our lives, let us not rely on our own understanding and our own knowledge or what people have told us. But let us rely on you. God, you are magnificent. You are a God that has made known to us the way we should go. Help us, Lord, to rely on you in decisions in our lives. Help us to, to ask you for guidance. Help us, Father, to rely on the straight path that you will make. I ask these things in your name. Amen.